Attackers are only getting more proficient, so how can you proactively adapt your cybersecurity strategy? Core Security by Help Systems helps you uncover and prioritize the risks that pose the biggest threat to your organization. Core Impact is a penetration testing tool that safely finds and exploits vulnerabilities using the same techniques as attackers. You can conduct advanced pen tests with ease using certified exploits and automations. Take your engagements to the next level by pairing with Cobalt Strike, a threat emulation tool ideal for adversary simulations and red team operations. Learn more at securityweekly.com forward slash core security. Workloads protected by VMware are the safest workloads in the multi-cloud. Private cloud, public cloud, any cloud. Stronger with distributed protection to the API and everything east-west, inside and cross-cloud. Stronger, with three layers of detection, trusting nothing and seeing everything, even the best hidden bad actors. Stronger, with an SE Labs AAA certified advanced NDR that brings the multi-cloud together for the win. You've got workloads, we've got security. VMware security, simply stronger. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash VMware to learn more. Endpoint security is designed to protect every device in your fleet, wherever it may be. These days, that can be a lot of different places. Find out how HP Wolf Security uses emerging strategies like application isolation, along with a zero-trust approach and framework to give you a powerful, manageable, usable solution to your growing and increasingly spread out security challenges. Learn how HP Wolf Security can make a difference across your endpoints at securityweekly.com forward slash HP Wolf. Welcome back to Enterprise Security Weekly. Do you have a specific guest or topic that you want us to cover in one of the shows? Submit your suggestions for guests by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash guests and completing the form. We review suggestions monthly and we'll reach out to you once reviewed. Also, join us April 14th to learn how to monitor your Wi-Fi network for attacks with Enzyme, a free and open source wireless intrusion detection system with Leonard Koopman, hosted by Larry Pesci and Paul Asadorian. Then join Alan Stakalowskis and host Tyler Robinson and Paul Asadorian on April 21st to learn how to gain visibility into your enterprise with Sysmon. Live attendees at both of these webcasts will have the chance to win a $100 Hacker Warehouse gift card. Register at securityweekly.com forward slash webcasts. And don't forget to check out our library of on-demand webcasts and technical trainings at securityweekly.com forward slash on-demand. And now for the Enterprise Security Weekly News. You can check out securityweekly.com forward slash ESW267 if you want to follow along uh, and check out some of the stories that we're going to talk about today. Actually, uh, starting off today, Tyler, I, I have this uh, quote from uh, from All In. Did you listen to the All In podcast? No, I, I've been, I'm behind about two or three weeks on my All In podcast listening. For those that don't know, All In podcast is my favorite podcast outside of the ESW ones and the one I do on my own, of course. <laughs> um, uh, All In podcast is uh, three or four very well-known um, investors, uh, global investors that have invested in everything from, you know, Facebook to, to uh, you know, super early, amazing Instacarts, things like that. Um, and they do a fantastic podcast every week that touches on all the topics that I love to to talk about, many of which we discuss here in the news segment. But no, I'm about three weeks behind, Adrian. What was the what was the hot take? So they've been last couple of weeks, they've been very uh, focused on the war in Ukraine. But this week they, they mm. uh, got back to normal for the most part. And uh, and a lot of it was uh, they, they had a guesty bestie on there. I forget the guy's name, but um, 
they uh, <laughs> you have to watch the podcast to understand what I'm talking about. But yes. uh, yeah, so so Tyler got me into this as well. Uh, I find it fascinating, uh, you know, especially coming you know directly from folks who are in the thick of it. And um, yeah, Chamath uh, Palihapitiya was talking uh, about how you know he thinks late stage venture was very badly mispriced, and we're basically seeing a correction. And he's talking about you know, de- depending on where you are in, in terms of, of revenue, uh, you know, you could see anywhere from like a 30% to a 70% uh, uh, correction. And, you know, one of the signals they're using that was the Instacart valuation snapping back from $40 billion valuation to $24 billion almost overnight and saying comps for Instacart were off by as much as 70%. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of stuff that goes into this equation. Um, Probably the easiest one for most folks to understand is the multiple, right? The multiple on revenue. So if you're sitting at X number of revenue to get to a valuation, you will have a multiple of Y, right? Um, that multiple is kind of the arbit- semi-arbitrary multiple that investors look at and say, okay, if you're if you're growing at this rate and you're at this specific revenue number, we think you'll be at this number by year end, this number by the following year, this number by the following year. And because of that, we can back into using these this multiple and expectation of valuation. Now, the problem comes in where you get that multiple, okay? And that multiple in the private markets is not it's not public. It's private market, right? You don't know exactly what sales are, what earnings are. Right. You don't know what what um, uh, what the valuation uh, of the company is. You don't know what that multiple is. So all you've got is comps in the public market. And now what's happening is, I don't know how many of you uh, actually follow the publicly traded cybersecurity-specific companies, but the multiples there have gone under a very significant squeeze throughout fiscal Q1. In fiscal Q1, many of them have dropped between 50 to 80% in valuation. So what used to be a $10 billion company, and that's an arbitrary low number, but easy math, is now a $3 billion company at a 70% discount. Okay, So where did the public market go wrong? Right. But that the public market overvalued these folks by X number of, of you know, multiple. Um, but how does that then equate back into the private market? And that equation is where things really get interesting, because now companies like Instacart, who may have raised their last round at whatever I think you said, 48 million, um, is now repricing down to 50 percent below that. Right. They're repricing their shares. And the why behind that becomes interesting. Why do you need to reprice as a private company? Well, if I'm an employee and I'm like, hey, I want to go work for Instacart. I want to do I want to be the CISO at Instacart. Well, that's great. They're going to offer me X number of dollars worth of shares of Instacart um, at this price. But I know the valuation or I believe the valuation is 50 percent or 70 percent less than that. How do we ever get to that valuation? So hiring is becoming a huge, huge problem for a lot of these overvalued late stage companies. And so, you know, all of these E plus round companies, their closest comparables is the public market. And because of that, it's becoming a very, very difficult scenario. And many of them are are having to reprice downward now. Yeah, I was talking to a mid uh, mid stage cyber uh, cybersecurity vendor CEO. And he, yeah, he was basically telling me, look, I, I got to hire like 130 to 200 people before the end of the year. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Like half, half that, half my chat with him was, uh, you know, he was like, Hey, do you know anybody? <laughs> hmm. 
Yeah, and then put together with that, I have to hire 150 people, you know, double by the end of year or whatever that number is. Oh, and by the way, the valuation of my company is being slashed in half. Well, yeah. the optics of that are tough. Now, I'll tell you right now, if there's anybody looking for jobs, look for the ones that have already repriced down or or haven't yes. taken that big round yet, right? Because so we then have an you article. get priced in before it. Uh, we have an article on this uh, from uh, Tomas Tungus. Is that how you would say that? It is. Yeah, he's an investor at Redpoint and he's phenomenal. Love him. Yeah, so uh, that is, uh, you know, the final version of the notes here. The number might get shifted around, but right now it is article number 20. Uh, and the title of that article is Startup Self-Repricing as a Recruiting Tool. And the general idea is, you know, if, if I guess if people joining a startup feel like, you know, the, the, you know, the shares are, you know, closer to reality, you know, then, then maybe they can get more, you know, the company can offer more and, and they'll be worth more. Uh, personally, yeah. a lot of people I know don't really hinge their, their hires a whole lot on, uh, on, on stock, you know, because there's just, there's a lot of things that have to, like, you have to beat the companies long enough for them to vest, you know, like, like there's a lot of stuff that has to happen for that to, you know, the company has to do well, uh, you know, for that to realize. So, so it's a bit of a gamble. It's a bit of a risk. Um, you know, but certainly it's expected when joining a startup to, to have some kind of, uh, um, stake in the company. Yeah. And, and repricing is one way to, to get that down, right? Like, look, we're going to cut, if you're, if you're Instacart and you're cutting your valuation by 50%, that means that there's upside in the equity you're providing to your to your to your people, right? At 48 billion or whatever their top end was there before they before they repriced. You know, if you go in there, how do you like how, even if you IPO, you're not IPOing above 48 billion. How do you how does that how do you make any money on those shares? There's just nothing left to be had. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, nobody wants to be part of a WeWork at their mm. what 80 billion dollar whatever ridiculous valuation they were at when they filed that S1. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, too, the downside, though, um, this is all paper money. It's all funny money. It's monopoly money at the end of the day, right? As you mentioned, the other way you can do this as a employee is say, I don't care. Anything you give me in equity is gravy. Just give me a fat salary. Bump bump the salary more, right? Um, and that's always one way you could kind of play those cards is kind of the guaranteed income side of that. But generally, you'll get lower risk, lower reward on the high potential for exit. Yeah. And speaking of funding, you know, and, and uh, you know, rounds perhaps getting late stage, perhaps getting, uh, you know, kind of maybe we'll see some of those cut in half in the future. Uh, but certainly early stage is still happening. And we get a lot of early stage. We got mm. 14 uh, fundings uh, here, at least, uh, you know, maybe 13, 14. We don't have time to go through them all. Uh, but there's a few interesting one, ones here. The largest is a hundred million dollar Series B, and this is Token X. And I, I don't know if you know anything about this company, Tyler, but I I don't understand how a tokenization vendor is raising this much because tokenization has been around for a while. It was highly uh, connected with the Casby market. Uh, there there are a lot of uh, Casby vendors that either started out doing tokenization and kind of pivoted into Casby. Or Casby's that added tokenization as as a feature, you know. So Netscope, you know, m most of the big uh, Casby's out there have tokenization as a feature. So this is very seems very late to market 
uh, to me. They're raising a ton of money uh, for something that's certainly useful. You know, I think the idea of look, you're not gonna you're not gonna get the actual sensitive data unless you really need to through a much more secure workflow. And in in place of that sensitive data, you know, we're just gonna give you a token. You know, for the for the means of comparing it to something else. Uh, I don't know. Do you, do you have any thoughts here? Oh man, this one this one seems to to really feel to me like a is it a feature or a product scenario? I don't know TokenX, right? I've done a brief cursory glance at their webpage, just just like we always do. You know, it's something I do want to set out there. Um, you know, I don't necessarily want to say we're ripping I'm ripping down TokenX, but in in a general sense, this feels like is this just a feature of something else in in the case of what you talked about, CASB or or whether it's some other um, you know, data base specific focus tokenization model like there's a lot of different ways you can do tokenization um but here's here's the thing five years ago i would have said well shoot they're raising 100 million dollars they got to have something there's nobody who will give them 100 million dollars without any revenue but that's mm-hmm. not reality anymore <laughs> so i don't i don't know right. that i can hang my hat on the due diligence of the investors on this particular market um and i would yeah, want to dive in quite a bit in more case, on it k1 investment yeah. management is the is the leader. Yeah, there's just so much money sloshing around that it's super easy to get money comparatively speaking to than ever before. So, you know, um to me this one seems like could it be a feature or could it be a product? If it's if it is truly a product then they're generating a re- enough revenue around it to ne- truly necessitate a 100 million dollar investment. Um you know, what's what's the end game here, right? Do they do they do something else different or how do they do it differently than the buyers and than the traditional players like the Casbys you mentioned? Yeah, and the and the next one here, Sierra, which um, you know, as somebody who's who's been following the market for a while now, was a little irritated at this name, you know, CY or or cyber um, names for companies uh, gets very confusing. There's already mm-hmm. a ton of them. I, I wish people would stop using that branding. And this one is one letter away from Zyvera, which was an endpoint security vendor that uh, made a product called Traps that Palo Alto Networks acquired back in 2014 for 200 million. You know, now it's, um, uh, what is the, uh, it's uh, part of their XDR product now, I think. I think it's basically Mm -hmm. embedded in that that, uh, Palo Alto's XDR product. This product, uh, so this is led by Sequoia alongside Excel, CyberStarts, so some some very recognizable um, VCs there. And uh, a lot of big names attached to it. Uh, and this is another one of these data security posture management companies where they're looking to to kind of scan and understand what data you're putting in your cloud and understand those data workflows, where the data is flowing to and from, what kind of data it is. Uh, I can't remember the we, – we talked about a company last week or maybe the week before that was doing some similar stuff here. So th- this looks like a – a bona fide trend that we're starting to see data security posture uh, management. Great, great, Adrian. You know, it's funny right before they cut over to me here on the uh, on the video, I saw that grin on your face, and I know you already know where this is going because I'm going to ask you: Have we ever seen a true data security technology in our 15, 20 combined years of uh, of being analysts? Did we ever Lots see of anything get, get Lots successful? Of Lots yeah. of attempts. Um, Lots of attempts. Of so how is this attempt any different? 
Yeah, data and as an analyst, I used to say that data security is the last frontier for cybersecurity <laughs> because the the moment you start messing with data security, put a lot of controls on it, you make data hard to use. Uh, and mm-hmm. if you make data hard to use, then you're going to kill productivity. You're going to break workflows. People are going to complain, and it's going to get ripped out immediately. And it's just hard to do. It's hard to protect data and make it as usable as possible at the same time. Yeah, you know, when I, when I think about data security, I, I kind of have to run through mentally the same hurdles I run through for most cybersecurity markets and say, the heavy shift to the cloud, API-driven and full automation, does that change how we can deliver data security? Uh, and it might, right? And if they've figured out how to tap into those shifts in a way that are unique, allowing to truly get fully automation of data where it exists in the cloud in the correct way, I mean, the, it's ripe for innovation. The market is 100% yeah. ripe for innovation. And they do have some interesting um not not necessarily just VC companies like Sequoia Excel and Cyberstarts, but individual people as well, who I have a lot of respect for and have seen amazing things. Rene Bonvenie being one in particular who has backed them as an angel and sits on the board as an independent investor. Um, he's the former um, CMO for the better part of the entire life of, of Palo Alto Networks from zero to hero. Uh, he was yeah. he was there forever. He was super successful there. So, you know, I don't think he's going to miss by much. Like, he's a super smart guy. So, you know, I, I always try to temper my negativity on some of these plays with, well, maybe I'm missing some kind of technology shift that isn't allowing it to occur. And I think this there could be something that uh, is allowing data data security to work in a better way. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think there's um, there's a lot here. Yeah, that that makes sense. You know, at least the discovery piece of it. You know, I think it's really important to understand what's going on in your environments, and, and this kind of mirrors, I, I think, where value was found with Casby's, value was found with CSPMs. Uh, before you can really do a lot of the stuff that these products promise, uh, you have to do some discovery. You know, with Casby, mm-hmm. it was discovering the the SaaS applications that your employees are using. You know, like like that's that's the know know what you have is the first step to a lot of security mm. workflows, and you know I, I I do I do wonder if some of these products it's if some of these categories are overreaching in saying that they're not only going to discover they're going to do some DLP on it figure out what kind of data it is attach compliance and regulations to it and then auto remediate and you know I I, yeah. I think they're going too fast there I think they're promising too much too quick I think oftentimes it's enough to say. Hey, we're just going to discover the data you have, you know, try and figure out what kind of data it is and and just give you a roadmap here. Get or not a roadmap, but a uh, um, just a like a diagram and understanding of your data flows. Why, yeah, why is that I mean, not enough at this point? <laughs> it's a great question. I think the reason you're seeing it's not enough is because they all have, you know, 60, 100, 200 million dollars invested to solve a much larger problem and a much larger. Yeah model and they're getting significant heavy pressure to do just that and drive revenue right they've all jumped onto the treadmill running at 10 miles an hour and the human legs can only run six right eventually you're going to fall and flip and land on your face right so they're trying to figure out how to run 10 miles an hour with a six six mile an hour human capability yep yep agreed we've seen it before um See, there's a speaking of SaaS, uh, jumping down to number five, Wing Security uh, claims to be an end-to-end SaaS security platform. 
I'd be very interested to hear to to get a briefing on this company because uh, uh, my first questions are all going to be about the architecture. I covered Casby very closely for a long time, and uh, and one of Casby's biggest challenges was like the discovery was easy. A lot of them did that as a as a loss leader. They gave you a free tool that would suck in your uh, proxy or firewall logs and tell you all the dot coms, all the SaaS companies that people are going to. Mm-hmm. And they would mm-hmm. even have like a rating system and they tell you how risky those those different SaaS products are. Um, and, and that was, again, what I'm, you know, this whole discovery piece, like understanding what's going on is 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 that first step. And, and CASB did the same thing. You know, they were trying to go 10, 15 miles an hour and they, they kind of, you know, some of them fell on their face there where – like if you looked at what customers were doing with Caspies and then what those products were capable of, like it it was just like, you know, the the most basic baby step uh, type of use cases with those Caspi products, and like these Caspi products we're talking about dynamically rewriting websites on the fly, you know, based on, you know authentication and, and identity aspects and stuff like that in real time, you know, like you can log into paychecks uh, normally, but it, you know, the moment you want to change somebody, somebody's payroll, you know, how much they get paid, then there's like a step up authentication, you know, and then you can drop in a, like a JavaScript pop-up that explains what's going on and, you know, all, all this crazy stuff. But to make that work, you got to have a reverse proxy. You're re- rewriting uh, you know, the, the paths in real time, you know, the moment paychecks changes their website, you know, breaks the, breaks the Casby app. So I'm very curious as to how they're going to be doing this. Yeah. There's nothing listed on their website, really. You know, if you go to the solutions link on their website, it just says a non-intrusive discovery tool, not a proxy does not use a proxy, but doesn't say how intrusive what it does. So, so that does tell you something non-intrusive intrusive is them signaling, look, we're not a Casby. Which is yeah, good, but what are they? It's like it's like me saying, you know, I'm not a marathon runner. You, you'd know that if you met me in three seconds. Like, wh- but what am right. I? Right? It's a totally different, totally different way of of uh, of positioning it. So, you know, it says a whole lot of what they're not. It doesn't really say a whole lot of what they do. It's value driven on their website. But here's something that really jumped out at me on the About Us page. They have 32, unless I miscounted, 32 investors, advisors not including the four financial actual uh, institutional investors that invested in this company. It's literally a who's who of uh, individual investors. I, I know a number of these guys, Mike Shalov from Fireblocks, Avishua from Orca, Gil from Orca, Kareem Tuba from Kenna. Like it's a who's who across the board have actually put money in this, uh, either put money or are advisors. I, it, they don't really break it out. Um, you know, I feel like this is a new technique that's happening literally everywhere is, hey, let's get 30 of the best people we can roll together, give them financial incentives to talk about us, and then have them walk us into every design partner that they can get us into so that we can see if we can actually build a product that delivers value. It's uh, it's an interesting technique, and they're taking it to the max with over 30 um, individuals listed on their website as as backers, backed by the best security leaders. Yeah, I mean, I, I recognize a lot of these folks and, and good, smart folks, but I, I wonder if like, like the maturity level of the the board and the advisory board is, is like 120 percent 
when the actual product it seems is is like barely off the whiteboard <laughs> you know and the maturity of that like we haven't even figured out if this is going to be doable or not yet you it's, know, it's a great playbook it's a great playbook because these guys all have fat networks yeah. every single one of them these guys and gals have fat networks they get to walk them into every company that they know and that's how right. they're going to build the you know the product market fit that's how they're going to get to product market fit i think it's a brilliant idea it's just typically i see this done with eight maybe 10 mm-hmm. there's 32 listed here yeah <laughs> I guess, like, if you've got smart, experienced people who have, who have uh, you know, I, I didn't look at the founders of, of Wing Security that, that have exited before, like, worst case, like, they should know how to pivot, you know, if this doesn't work out, like, they, they should have enough expertise there to, uh, you know, make something work, right? I hope so. I hope so for their sake. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um Back to my notes here. So Theta Lake, what did so Theta Lake was kind of interesting. I haven't really seen a whole lot of other folks doing this, but again, kind of data security. But they're looking at the kind of data you usually don't see anybody looking at. So, like, uh, so Ring Central and Zoom are are both uh, investors in this one, uh, though it's led by Battery Ventures uh, with Lightspeed. But uh, but they're they're looking at voice, video, chat, email, documents. So a lot of this, uh, you know, very portable data. You know, this data that yeah. typically, like the chat in the last Zoom call you had, like people will share. You know, if 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 that's an engineer talking to a customer or, or uh, you know support, uh, you know customer success engineer talking to a customer, you know, there there could be private keys and like all kinds of sensitive stuff in that zoom chat, you know? So it's, uh, I think this is kind of interesting. This one's cool. This one's really cool. It's doing something a little bit different. So I remember a while back, um, I wish I could remember the exact her era to years, timeframe, whatever that this occurred, but somebody told me that, Hey, you know where our biggest risk is. It was a financial services company or I'm sorry, a financial, uh, financials company. And they said, our biggest risk is trying to monitor internal communications from broker to broker, from broker to IT guy, from broker to security guy, where they're getting or passing sensitive information, allowing um, insider trading to occur, right? So how do I do that? And at the time, I was like, who cares? Such a niche market. None of that really matters. Fast forward, post-pandemic, how much of our communication exactly within a company goes over those, those same exact models? You know, sure, back then they were talking about like, uh, you know, an instant messenger tool or something like Jabber or something mm-hmm. from one 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 employee to another. But it's the same same use case in the sense that but now we're transferring significant amounts of sensitive data, pertinent data, data that matters to the business, data that needs to be potentially scrubbed, analyzed, secured, et cetera, across Slack every single day. Every company does it. I'm personally in well over 24 Slacks. I know I'm in more than two does. And, yeah. you know. Some of them are work-related, some of them are not. But I think this solves a really intriguing and interesting problem that used to be a niche problem that was exacerbated by um, by the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, this is now equivalent to email security in terms of what's going into yeah. these applications. And they say they're yeah. covering email as well. So, Yeah, I, I would argue that this is, ex- is at least as big a te- uh, total addressable market as email security ever was. Um, and, and growing, significantly growing space as well. 
Yeah, I've not seen much else in the space. So, yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's a few. Nothing that's jumping out at me, but I'm sure there's a couple floating around if we dug hard enough. Yeah. Uh, Cyberpeon, couldn't find anything to really get excited about there. The the name is kind of odd. You know, again, cyber is very, you know, like we've passed a point where you should be putting cyber in the name of your cybersecurity company. And then maybe they're trying to combine it with Scorpion. I don't know. Maybe mm. it's a portmanteau. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. But external attack surface management product. So in that same space is like your Randoris and your Cycognitos. And, uh, mm. you know, a lot of them have been acquired uh, by insurance companies or like Intrigue got acquired by Mandiant. Um, so very familiar space. There's like three dozen companies in that space. So maybe kind of late to market. This is a Series A. Um, only differentiator I saw is if they spot a subdomain takeover risk, it looks like they go ahead and do the takeover so nobody else can. So they'll, they'll shore that up for you. But aside from that, it looks, uh, like a, a yet another product in that category. So don't know yep. what kind of exit they're going to be looking at. Yeah. I don't really have too much commentary on that. I think the ESM <laughs> space is fairly straightforward, fairly clear. Gartner's, <laughs> uh, denoted that as a market for a bit now. Um, yeah, I think it's a subset to a bigger problem, which is understanding your cyber asset base anyways. But I'm 100% wearing biased glasses on that comment. Yeah. Another one that seems late to market, Nucleus Securities jumping in that uh, Vulcan Cyber kind of security space, uh, prioritizing vulnerabilities. You know, step one, ingest all your vulnerabilities, normalize it, prioritize it for you. Uh, that's This is a $20 million Series B led by Lead Edge Capital. Um, couldn't find any differentiators on their website. Um, you know, Kenna's been acquired by Cisco. Vulcan Cyber pivoted to remediation, uh, more of a, a remediation focus. So a bit late to market here as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I would have to try to understand what differentiators are in, in depth on this one. Again, you know, if we were to simplify it, and I'm, I'm just going by going a little bit further down in their webpage and kind of just just highlighting a skim here. So this is not a deep analysis. Um, you know, I think we are in the era where data aggregation is value. Data is oil. And in this particular case, they're trying to draw a box around this is we can pull all Vuln data from all systems whether it be scanners you're using, whether it be your CSP, whether it be whatever, because it used to be super clear, like 20, 15 years ago, you had a you had a an Nmap scan that would run every X number of weeks. You'd have a, a couple mm -hmm. of DAS scans, maybe in an automated way, and maybe an AppSec scan, and that was it. Like, you had a couple of scanning tools. But now, if you think about it, literally, you got all your scanning tools. You got your container runtime protection scanning tools. You got your um, clouds, uh, cloud provider cloud scanning. scanning tools that come mm -hmm. with the cloud system itself. Like the scanning landscape has grown exponentially, making a, I think, a unique opportunity for the data aggregation and normalization of all of that in a way that Kenna hasn't ever really figured out from a fully automated, like, don't just upload your logs to me and show me the difference or upload your Vons to me, but I'll connect automatically in a way that you don't ever have to worry about. You just click a couple buttons, and every 10 minutes I've pulled everything in and given you that kind of elevated value. I wonder if that's a level up compared to what we've traditionally seen in this space. I mean, tip, that, typically, that's the way you would use Kenna. You know, it, it's uh, you don't want to have to do manual uploads. Uh, and, and, you know, all that's dependent on where you're pulling the data from and whether or not they have an API that you can automatically uh, do periodic pulls from. 
but generally, that that's how you're going to use Kenna is, is it's automatically going to pull over the Tenable I.O. API, for example. Yeah. We need yeah. to put out a public request that anybody who's got funding down the pipe, please reach out to Enterprise Security Weekly ahead of time and give Adrian and I a full 30-minute briefing on your product <laughs> so that we can give true in-depth analysis on how you fit in. How many days you want to set aside for those briefings every week, Tyler? We going to do those on Sunday? Hey. Yep, I'll do them all week. It's my passion. I'll do them anytime you want. <laughs> Weekends, nights, it doesn't matter. 6 a.m. I, I I agree. I, I do enjoy doing those briefings. Never got tired of that. Um, always interested to see what people are building. Um, let's see. Moving on here. Cloaked is interesting. From what I can tell, it's a B2C. And they're basically creating fake identities for you. Like they, they named dating apps as one of the use cases that you might want to create a fake identity for with like throwaway email addresses and phone numbers. Um, obviously, there's less cringy use cases <laughs> or less <laughs> eyebrow raising use cases for, for as, a, as an investor as an investor that's the most important thing i i asked on the first meeting i say can you give me your least cringy use cases please so i can decide if i want to invest <laughs> yeah yeah and, and yeah so cloak <laughs> is the name of the company raised a 25 million series a led by lux capital and human capital um the the founders or brothers look very sartorially sartorially aware uh very nice uh picture there on on their uh you know it looks like uh like they're posing for an album cover or something like that but uh <laughs> very interesting not sure if i would invest in it but uh be interesting to check it out i've used a couple services before that do some stuff like this like one of the more interesting ones i've seen are the ones that give you throwaway credit card numbers. So like ah. if you're going to, if you have to use a credit card number and you don't necessarily trust the vendor, you don't want to give them your main checking account debit card number or something like that. Uh, so they actually generate temporary ones for you. And I found a lot of times those don't work. They get rejected. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, sure so my, my... I'm sure there's a lot of fraud there. Yeah, no, my take on this is a little bit interesting. I, I agree with you, but I've already got cloaked. I'm already cloaked. If you Google Tyler Shields, you'll see a photographer, a very famous photographer who has taken photos of everybody from Lindsay Lohan to Kathy Griffin holding up a, a severed Trump head to all sorts of insane things. So I'm I'm already cloaked. I'm already buried. So I don't need this service. But I can tell you that if they do it right and they get enough notoriety for this cloak uh, individual or, or versions of cloaks, you know what? If somebody wants to stay a little bit under the radar, um, they could find it very useful. Yeah, it's not the same when you Google Adrian Sanabria, though. So I, I don't appreciate your example. It's it's insensitive to me and other uniquely named people. <laughs> what? So if I Google Adrian Sanabria, I get all, I get your life's work. That's it. Like across the board, I get everything. No, there, there's a priest in Spain. There's some soccer players <laughs> in South America. Um, there's, uh, Adrian Sanabria Diaz, who is actually in it and lives somewhere in Colorado, I think. So that there, there, there's a few other ones, but, uh, yeah, I, but yeah, I'm, I'm most of what you find. Yeah. And, and also, so you find the phenomenal photographer with severed heads and other amazing photos. Yeah. But, uh, the other thing that I get all the time is there is a real estate agent in Colorado whose mm -hmm. middle name is an R. And so I own Tyler.shields at gmail.com. He owns Tyler R Shields at gmail.com. And if you look closely, the, the R's blend. Like nobody ever reads it and they just think right. it's his first name, last name. 
I get tons, and I mean constant, tons of emails of personal <laughs> private information about people trying to do real estate deals with him in Colorado. I've gotten to the point where I just send him stuff constantly. Hey, this one's yours, and I delete it. The other thing I've gotten, the other thing I've gotten is the very famous photographer Tyler Shields. I've gotten zips of uh, portfolio photos, nudes, and other oh things intended for him. Oh my god, which is very funny. Yeah. <laughs> so you've unintentionally typo squatted uh, just by having a similar name. Just by having a similar name. So, you know, maybe cloaked could be useful. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's see. We're not going to talk about all these uh, fundings. Uh, two more I thought were interesting. Skiff uh, seems like a end-to-end -end encrypted um, Google Docs, maybe. You know, so kind of like uh, what I, I think Wicker was trying to do with some of the stuff. Like when I first saw it, I thought it was going to be like an end-to-end -end encrypted Slack, um, which, which there's there's a few of those out there already, uh, but this appears to be more focused on like the collaborative document uh, usage and and management type thing, and it's also built on top of IPFS, which is uh, the interplanetary file system you know that that you see. Uh, as, as kind of integral to the, the whole NFT marketplace. Um, so technology-wise, kind of interesting. You know, product-wise, a uh, little bit less interesting. Like, there, there's, there's other end-to-end -end encrypted uh, Google Docs and Slack alternatives out there. Yeah, you know, that, that's an interesting one. I, I know some folks at Wicker, and, uh, you know, to think about and consider that acquisition path, um, they were not acquired for a ton of money, at least not in my, you know, five minutes of research around acquisition sizes for Wicker. Um, I've followed companies that have been, you know, encryption related companies. We encrypt better than anybody else. We do this thing you're already using in an encrypted and secure way. And very rarely are they massive exits with few exceptions. WhatsApp maybe being one of them that had a massive exit. Um, and I'm sure we can come up with one or two others that have uh, decent sized exits. But, you know, I don't know. It just seems like it's it's the same thing that I already use with no perceivable direct value to me that I would get other than making it encrypted. Yeah. Jumping down to our only acquisition of the week, um, what do you what do you make of Zimperium getting acquired for five hundred twenty five million by Liberty Strategic Capital? Good for them. Good for Zuck. Good for that team. Um, you know, good for them to finally move on from that, um, to finally complete the process there. 525 million. I don't know. I'm going to do a quick uh, Google foo while we're talking here and see if I can do a look up on Im Imperium's total invested capital. Yeah. Imper you know, Yum. honestly... I, I I didn't I didn't see that I was th this was a surprise to me I, I didn't see Zimperium you know I mobile security in general was kind of a nothing burger you know yeah. not not a not a whole lot of those uh, Lookout did well but not a whole lot of the other ones um, you know I I thought the idea of a host based IPS for your phone was was you know uh, with mobile operating systems being the most secure operating systems we pretty much have. Uh, just, just seemed, uh, I just didn't see a whole lot of use cases for it, but I'm guessing, uh, Liberty strategic capital is based in DC. So I'm guessing Zimperium probably has a lot of federal contracts, lucrative federal contracts. That's my guess. Yeah, I'm sure. 
I'm sure that's a piece of it, right? But also, if you look through their use cases, right, you have some fraud use cases, mobile O365 security use cases, phishing protection use cases. It's not just a clean-cut traditional MDM-style security use case anymore. I believe yeah. they also did um, app wrapping and some other things like that. Um, you know, if you roll up all of what ended up being all niche markets, if you roll all those up, you get into a, a market size that might might facilitate enough revenue for a $500 million acquisition. That's probably what happened. Um, and I think there's enough growth here for them for them being the acquirer to go, hey, this is a nice cash cow for us on a, on a, fi- a true financial, not a strategic, but a true financial acquisition play here. Um, you know, this is generating a compounding model of X. Uh, we can cash flow this thing over the next 10 years, you know, make X amount of profits. And that's probably what happened. That's why it's a PE play. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I haven't talked to them since maybe 2014, 2015. Um, you know, and I, I've used very simple versions, of, early versions of the product, but uh, but I, I did kind of write off that whole whole category. I just didn't see mobile security as a big enterprise uh, uh, priority back then or yeah. or now. But yeah, obviously, I mean, they found the, a niche. Yeah, I would say the last thing about this on this particular topic is look. Um, if anything goes to show you not to listen to any of the garbage I spew on the show, it's because I, <laughs> I thought that mobile security was going to be the biggest, the biggest oh, really? TAM. Like, oh my gosh, I was all in on mobile sec. I thought, you know, AirWatch, Mobile Iron, those companies are going to crush it. There's like three or four other different use cases here. Mobile will take over the laptops. Everybody's going to be throwing away their laptops someday. Boy, was I wrong. Boy, was I wrong. Um, you know, they just never really got there. And sure, AirWatch did well and Mobile Iron did okay. And, you know, there were some good exits that occurred, but it never, it just never facilitated. So, you know, one one analyst's opinion. That's about all we got on the show. Two analysts' <laughs> opinion. You're here, too. Two analysts, yeah. Um, yeah, so a few other things uh, I'm going to touch on here. I'm not going to, we, we're probably running pretty long at this point. So, uh Let's see. We've got a significant one here, NPM, supply chain attacks. Uh, That's something that we've we've brought up uh, at least half a dozen times over the last year as we've seen more and more attacks against software libraries at the software library level. And now bad guys are automating it. They're automatically generating accounts and, and kind of flooding the NPM library with malicious packages. And, you know... NPM folks who I, I think now are part of Microsoft and GitHub, if I'm not mistaken. I, th- I think they got acquired by GitHub or was it GitLab? Am I getting that wrong? Yeah, I don't remember. I wish I could give you a little bit of color there to help you flesh that thing out, but I don't know. Yeah, no, Microsoft. So it was GitHub that picked them up back in, in 2020. So those those folks are unfortunately playing whack-a-mole uh, they, <laughs> to prevent account takeover. They put... Um, uh, they they made MFA required for anybody who manages an NPM library, uh, but then the attackers just said, oh, "We'll just open our own new accounts," and uh, effectively yeah. they're typo squatting. You know, they're naming, yeah, I mean, they're going to produce 800 uh, new libraries. You know, and the only difference between their name and the legit library is like they change a dash to a colon or something like that. Yeah, you know, I think this is really interesting. This gets at the heart of a problem. Listen, put yourself into the into the shoes of an attacker. And I'm, I know you have done that in the past, and I've done that in the past. Would you rather target one company, get one thing, or would you rather target 
you know, anybody that uses npm log4j or insert insert the particular library here. Uh, in general, you know, I, I prefer the blast and see how many I can capture and then figure out how to monetize them yeah. all, right? Like if you're just talking from a financial perspective, that's where you make the most money, right? So from a money chasing vantage point, I'm not surprised this is happening. This is the long awaited supply chain problem, right? And there's companies out there like Phylum and other companies that are are actively trying to figure out how to solve the supply chain issue. Um, and it comes in this format. Checkmarks is doing a good job of trying to find these things. And, you know, I think this is going to be a real problem as we move forward. You know, co nobody writes code anymore. People assemble code. And if your supply chain and your assembly line are flawed and, and you know, not tamper-proof, you're going to get tampered with. So I think this is a, you know, a good idea. I just hope they're successful with it. And the people building and maintaining these, you know, I wonder if we'll see kind of like a max exodus where people are like, look, it's just not worth the the heat that I'm going to get for maintaining this package to own it. You know, I'm either going to abandon it or try and find somebody to hand off this package to. Uh, but, you know, these aren't companies with budgets, you know, to to defend their NPM package. They're They're just individual developers who, you know, needed something for convenience sake uh, or something like that decided to make it publicly available a hundred percent this this is this is the supply chain gonna problem be... and it's it's going to be duplicated in oss in general not just libraries in yeah. use but open source it's the same problem what is open source with the exception of one percent of packages or one percent of open source tooling open source is one person in a garage writing code themselves they can't maintain that they can afford to maintain that right so uh, I, I foresee this getting worse over time. And, and it's attached to their personal accounts and stuff like that. So now they're getting personally targeted you know, by by threat actors who, you know, where there's there's some kind of payday for, you know, being able to, you know, get access, get control of somebody's super popular WordPress plugin or whatever it might be. So, yeah, I'm afraid it'll, it's going to have a chilling effect on on open source. Um. Yeah, so just briefly going to mention this is more of a Paul Security Weekly thing, but hackers stole over six hundred million on uh, one of the biggest crypto yeah. heists from what was the name of that that silly game? Oh gosh, uh, I read it. Um, Axie, Axie Infinity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one hundred seventy three thousand six hundred ether and twenty five point five million. Uh, USDC tokens, which is the uh, like stable coin. So yeah. <laughs> not getting any, I, not getting any better there. I'm not surprised. Do you remember the research that was done on World of Warcraft, positioning them above yeah. like a, I don't know, twenty percent of the economies uh, of of country economies in the world. Right. 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 I'm not surprised when you can target an entire country's economy. <laughs> and right. steal a big chunk of their funding because it's a stupid game that isn't secure. That which that's going to attract the traders. Which is why Blizzard was sending World of Warcraft players hardware tokens back in the mid 2000s. Absolutely. Yep. Like 100%. That was that was surreal. I was like <laughs> why do you have a World of Warcraft themed RSA token? What is that about? <laughs> Because we're losing so much damn money to attackers, that's why. And so I think this is going to be the biggest problem of the metaverse. 
metaverse security, sure, there's all sorts of things around metaverse security that people will have to figure out. The biggest problem with metaverse security is that if you can do a massive compromise, the underpinning of most of the metaverse technology-based games, companies, worlds, universes, whatever you want to call them, is a Bitcoin token that could be massively compromised for millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. This is going to attract large style attackers. Yeah, uh, and, and it is. It already, I mean, and it took them six days to notice the money was gone. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get even worse as more and more people funnel money into these style technologies. Yep. Um, yeah, attackers go where the money is. Simp- simple as simple. that. <laughs> if you're not expecting that, then yeah, <laughs> you probably should. <laughs> exactly. Um, PCI DSS 4.0 came out today. Um, pinged, All right, next uh, topic. Go to the next topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> next. Uh, what, what do you think about this? Uh, the SEC uh, basically trying to neuter the advantages of, of doing a SPAC. Oh, good Lord. You really want to dive into that one, eh? I mean, I, I want to wrap uh, probably in the next five minutes, but do your best. <laughs> in other words, in other words, keep it short, Shields. Um, uh, SPACs so were just a loophole to bring companies public faster without having to have oversight. When you attack loopholes to bring companies faster without oversight, you're going to get into situations where there's improprieties where there's misrepresentations of value all sorts of things it doesn't mean that every spac was a bad spac it simply means that the opportunity for malicious behavior or uh large financial dollar amounts to per to create perverse incentives existed um and i think that's what the sec is looking to, to to strip down and get rid of is that perverse incentive capability um and i'm sure if we go through them i'm sure we can find that had plenty of perverse um outcomes right and i would have to go through and look at them one by one and look where which ones crashed the worst etc but at the end of the day i think there's plenty of of perverse outcomes that came from perverse incentives and that's what the sec is hoping to crack down on i'm not a fan of the spac don't get me wrong i made a lot of money on specs i put a lot of money into them early on when the when the hype was early i got out of them before the hype waned um but i saw it for what it was which was a highly speculative unregulated ipo um and so yeah that's kind of my my two cents on specs yeah, uh, very good uh, summary there, I think. So there's some new products we've listed here. Feel free to check those out. Uh, I'm not going to really, I don't think I'm going to dive into any of those here. Uh, go ahead and name them. I think the one is supposed to be pronounced Faith, but it's spelled F, the number eight, and then T-H. Um, we've got Sandbox AQ, Threat Jammer, and Bandura Cyber relaunches as Threat Blocker. Uh, so variety of different uh, different products there. Running out of time. Not going to dive too deep into those. We're going to jump right Adrian. to the squirrel story. Adrian, yeah. please tell me you're you going to do the squirrel. Please tell me you're going to do the squirrel. No, we're jumping right. We're, we, you just interrupted me just as I was I was introducing. Yes, I, let's go. <laughs> so squirrel story. Um, I'm a I'm a sucker for any gadgets that you know just make you look like a Mortal Kombat character or, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, or Mega Man maybe. Like, like I'm trying <laughs> to figure out exactly what the vibe is. So Dyson has created headphones 
Okay, let's just think of them as headphones first. And then they added like a uh, air pollution filter, you know, that, that kind of wrap. So imagine over the ear headphones completely cover your ears. So over the ear headphones, big cans on your head. But then there's a piece that connects those two cans, comes around in front of your face, you know, makes makes you look like a uh, like scorpion from Mortal Kombat or something like that. Uh, I, I forget the other characters' names. They also had kind of the face shield there. Sub Zero. Um, yeah, cleaning the air. Like, like I could use this on an airplane. I often like, like the airplane is, man, as a, a terrible place to be trapped with a bunch of farty people, gassy people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could use something cleaning the air around me. You know, especially sitting on the airplane before they. Before we taxi down the runway and the and the air systems really get get going and and cycling that air through, yeah, yeah, I, I could use use something uh, like I, this maybe. So I want to make a public call for Dyson to please send me one of these. I will wear it at the next uh, the next major poker tournament I log into, so I can get rid of all the smelly poker players around me, and I will wear it the entire. <laughs> And I will blog about it and I will give you free advertising on all four of my followers. Security conferences. People are always complaining about, uh, you know, like you, you imagine you walking around. With that? Oh, my God. <laughs> you can go two routes here. You can hand out free deodorant and hope that people use it. Or you can just cover your cover your face and your nose <laughs> with with this device. Sign me so, up. I'll uh, even put a, put a sticker on the front that says finish him. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right. And that's all I've got today. Thanks so much, Tyler, for joining me today. Always fun, especially with we, we had some great stories to, to chat about here today. Absolutely. Pleasure. It's always Adrian. Thank you so much. And a big thanks to everybody watching or listening to this week's of episode of Enterprise Security Weekly. We will see you next week. 